Well, good morning to you. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3 together. What a beautiful morning it is. I hope you've had a beautiful morning, ready to worship the Lord. I want to talk to you a little bit about the condition of our country at this time. You know, our country has been oh, in the habit of setting aside special days and special months to celebrate things that are important to us. It's in fact one of the ways we as a culture express the things that we value. So we say we value family. So we have Mother's Day and we have Father's Day. And we say that we value this country. And so we have special days like Memorial Day or President's Day or the 4th of July. But increasingly, our culture has set aside special times and special, special days and special months to celebrate things that are sinful, to express values that are in contradiction to the values of a loving God. And in fact, in this country, over the next month, there's going to be a celebration of what is called Pride Month which for an entire month, for four weeks, we're going to have commerce and entertainment and politics and social media and advertisements and social influencers who will saturate our culture with every form of human sexuality and reproduction imaginable. Businesses are going to have training seminars. And government buildings are going to fly flags. And cities are going to support marches. We're just simply not going to be able to, over the next four weeks, avoid people celebrating attitudes that are in contradiction to the will of a loving God for His creation. And so today, I want us to think about How do Christians cope with living in a sinful world? Have you ever thought about that? How do you cope with living in a sinful world? Do you just choose to ignore it? It's not there. Do you choose to get all mad about it and enraged about it? Do you despair? Do you want to escape and just go run to the hills somewhere where you don't have to encounter it? How does a Christian cope with living in a sinful world? In fact, right here in Fort Worth, just this last week, the mayor of Fort Worth uh, had a situation where she was telling children that if they would go read uh, books at the library this summer that would celebrate homosexuality and transgender issues, she would give them a pride badge. How do you live in a world in which there is sin that's being celebrated? Well, that's the kind of question that Peter was dealing with when he wrote his letters. He wrote to people who were living in a dark time, people who were suffering because of their faith. They were harassed and mistreated. They were opposed by their government. They were opposed in their workplaces. They were even, some of them, opposed in their own homes. And they needed to know, how does God want me to live in a wicked and sinful world? And this is part of what Peter wrote to them. First Peter chapter 3, I begin in verse 8 with you. 
Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not pay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now he who is, who is, the, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, at, at the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when they slander you as evildoers, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. Notice that Paul says, in, or Peter says in verse 13 that typically if you do what is good, people will not harm you. And yet he goes on to point out that that won't always be the case. That if you do good, you may suffer. You may be slandered for it. You may be shamed and maligned. In fact, this section ends in chapter 4, if you look over in verse 12, with this statement. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The first thing I want us to see is that when you live in a sinful world... Don't be surprised that it's full of sin. I think some of us have been surprised by the fact that the world is going the way that it is going. It has shocked us. We don't know what to do because we didn't expect it. And yet the biblical record continually tells us that the world lies under the influence of the evil one, as John put it. Or as it is in another place, the devil is the prince of this world, and his philosophy is at work in those who practice disobedience. James tells us that the mentality of the world, the way the world thinks, is in opposition to God, for it has made itself an enemy to God. It has always been the case, and it will always be the case, that those who live outside of an understanding of God and His will will follow sinful and evil and harmful ways. But perhaps this has surprised some of us, the state of our world. Because really deep down in our hearts, we've kind of gotten the idea that our world is kind of a safe place to be spiritually. That it is morally neutral. That our world is generally, with regard to its values, harmless. And yet that is to avoid the biblical teaching about the world. 
The world and its ways and its thinking has always been opposed to the sovereignty of God. And so what that means for us as believers living in this world is that we need to have some discernment. That when we hear the messages of the world, we don't need to be surprised by the fact that it is full of sin and things that disregard God and go in ways in which God has not commanded. We must not be lured into thinking that the way the world thinks is innocuous, that it's no big deal, that it's something to be accepted. And in fact, when you live in a culture that is progressing as ours is, you begin to think that it is something that's just normative, that people think that way and act that way. It is even something to be accepted. But for Christians, we're not surprised by it. Because we are discerning, we understand that the world is opposed to the ways of God. Now, when we understand this and we see how much the world and the, the majority has always rejected the ways of God, and when we see that, that the world in its majority has rejected the ways of God and the lordship of Christ over their life, it can be a scary thing, can it? Because this world is a big place, it's powerful. And we begin to feel like we're so small and so weak. And that's why the Apostle Peter goes on to say that when you are maligned and mistreated, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. I think some of us have become afraid of the way things are. We are afraid that we are losing our world. But my friends, it was never our world. Our, the world has always been under the sway of the wicked one. And so we are not to be afraid of the world. And yet some Christians, I believe, because they are afraid, they have responded like a scared bully. They fight back and they're full of hatred and violence. And what Peter says is that you don't have to be afraid. Look at what he says in verse 14. Why do you have not have to be afraid? Because you're the one who is blessed. The reason we don't have fear is because we understand how blessed we are in Christ. As Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the world belongs to us. Why? Because we know the one who created it. We know the one who has forgiven us of our sins and accepted us into his presence. We are the one with an eternal inheritance. When it comes to being afraid, we're the ones who are rich. We are the ones who are accepted. We're the ones who have a future. Are we afraid that the way the world is going? We're not afraid of the way the world is going because we are close to the one who is in control of it. And so Paul, Peter says, when you live in a sinful world, don't be surprised about the sin that you may find. And don't be afraid of how powerful and pervasive it seems to be. You don't have to go along to get along. You don't have to say yes to the thinking of the day. Because I'll guarantee you, the thinking of today about sexuality and reproduction and humanity is not going to be the thinking of tomorrow even in this culture. But the thinking of God about those things will always be consistent throughout eternity. You don't have to be afraid. 
And to deal successfully with our fear in a world like this, we need to remember to think of Jesus first. He says in verse 15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Thought about that this week. Honor Christ as Lord, as holy in your life. What he is saying is, remember, there's nobody like him. And so over this next month, you're going to hear all kinds of politicians and celebrities and YouTube stars and influencers and advertisements have spent millions of dollars to try to impress us with a particular value system with regard of men and women and sexuality and reproduction. And it's going to sound so powerful, so smart, so just enticing. And what Peter is saying Compare it, compare those speakers to Jesus. There's no one like him. Think about it. If Jesus is in fact the object of history and redemptive history, if Jesus came into this world and lived a perfect life, and he healed those who were sick, and he raised from the dead. And if he himself died upon the cross to take your sins and my sins upon him for eternity, and if he was raised from the dead in order to give us life, if he ascended to the Father's right hand, where he now reigns over all, and he is coming back to hold everything under judgment, who else is so worthy to listen to? Why do we not fear? Because we are listening to the Lord who is worthy of being Lord. So this this next few weeks, and you hear all of these different ideas about human sexuality, about reproduction, and you hear all of that kind of stuff, and it seems to be so normative and believed by so many, may I ask you to think in your hearts, what does Jesus say about it? Sanctify him as the Lord. Let his voice be the loudest one you hear. Let his wisdom be the one that you honor and esteem above all else. Sanctify him as Lord in your life. In fact, what Peter is doing in this text is he is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah chapter 8, you have the people of Israel in a similar time. They're scared to death. They've got the Assyrians. They seem like such a powerful nation coming down. They're just going to squish them. They're going to make Israel into their own image or they're going to die. Okay? So the people are scared to death about what's coming. And so the, what a lot of them are doing is they're choosing to just assimilate to look like the Assyrians, to get along with the Assyrians, to make alliances so that they're not overwhelmed. And listen to what Isaiah says to them. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me, and he warned me not to walk in the way of these people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls a conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, and he will become your sanctuary. You see, what 
the prophet is saying to people is you're living in a scary time and there's going to be a lot of people saying, oh, there's this scary thing and that scary thing and they're going to cause you to want to conform to their way of thinking. But what he says is don't be afraid of them and don't live in their way. What you need to do is you need to make the Lord your sanctuary. And what's interesting about Peter is he turns that around and he says, you make your heart the Lord's sanctuary. You see how intimate he makes that? He says, if you were in the Old Testament to go to the holy, the, the temple, the holy place, and there you were to live in the presence of God, you wouldn't make these foolish decisions. You wouldn't think about these foolish things. You wouldn't be afraid. So make the Lord your sanctuary. And Peter says, your heart is the sanctuary for the Lord. And if he's living in you, you're not going to be afraid and you're not going to go in their way. Now, of course, it's only possible to do this, to thank, the Lord, thank about the Lord first, if you know what you believe. And so this is where Peter famously says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, here's the problem. We hear the world's values so often that sometimes we don't even recognize they're wrong because we don't know what the Lord says about them. Is that not a problem? We hear the world's values so often that we don't even recognize they're wrong because we don't know what the Lord thinks about those things. This is not a time for lazy Christians. This is not a time for lazy believers. This is not a time for flabby faith. This is a time for us to know what we believe about things. You know, just last Monday, I did a funeral for a man in Plano. He and his wife came to follow the Lord in their late 60s. And after the funeral, I had the opportunity to talk to his son. And his son, as far as I know, is not a believer at all. He's an agnostic. And he came up to me and he said, I just want to tell you that growing up with my dad was hard. My dad was an arrogant, selfish man. My dad only thought about himself. He was irritable and difficult to be around. He was a drunkard, and when he was drunk, he was, he was hurtful to us. And he said he was so obsessed with politics, that's all he could talk about. And then he started worshiping with you guys. And all of a sudden he changed. And he began to talk about how this world is temporary and how he was living for a different world. And I just want you to know, I thank you for what you've done. He doesn't realize it's what, the God, what God did in him. He said, I want to thank you for what you've done. Because the last, 20, uh, last 15 years of my dad's life, I've enjoyed being around him. I'll tell you why that happened with that man and his wife. It's because they began to take the word of the Lord seriously. When they learned about the Lord, they never missed a worship service. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they were there every single time. If not, there was an earthquake that had happened somewhere. 
And on top of that, they were at every devotional that we had. I did a Bible study in their home for years, once a week. His wife read through her Bible multiple times a year. They were at every devotional opportunity and every service opportunity in the church. What had, what had happened to them is the worldly thinking that had been so ground into their minds over the years was rinsed out by the values of God that they heard on a regular basis. Now here's my concern. My concern is that over the next month particularly, our minds are going to be so flooded and saturated by worldly values about human sexuality that they're going to stick in our minds. And when they stick in our minds, they're going to stay there because we are not nearly devoting ourselves to the will of the Lord as much in our minds. And as a result, as we think about the ways of the, the world, the things of the Lord are not going to be so appealing to us. We're going to lose our appetite for them. When your thinking is in the ways of the world, the, the thinking of the Lord's will is just something that's not appetizing. At some point, it's bitter. That's why people who have been so saturated with the world and its way of thinking listen to what we say from the scriptures, and to them, it's it's just offensive. To them, it is something that is distasteful. Worldly values begin to make God's loving message taste bitter. In fact, I want to suggest that it is no coincidence that while we live in a, a world where sinful values are shouted more loudly than ever before, God's people are devoting less time to his word and his worship than ever before. There's a correlation between those two. Our time and energy in the world has filled us up to the point that we have lost our appetite for God's word. And that's why we are living in a generation, a generation that hasn't been like this in maybe a hundred years where churches have decreased their time in the Word together, where the worship of God's people has become something as a convenience rather than a passion, it is because we have begun to be more influenced by the thinking of the world than our love for God and His worship and His Word. And I don't know what form this will take. I'm excited to see what form this is going to take. But my hope is that in this generation, somehow there will be a passion for God's word and a passion for worshiping the Lord that will so transform their thinking and their behavior that they'll truly be children of God in this world. Because if it doesn't happen, it will be a generation that is lost in their relationship with God. Our spiritual Survival depends upon it. And so as this month transpires, and you begin to listen to all of the thinking of the world about males and females and human sexuality and reproduction, and you hear all of those things, stop and ask yourself, do I spend nearly as much time thinking about the ways of the Lord and the worship of the God who created me and saved me and with whom I want to be with eternally? 
Well, once you are not surprised by sin and not afraid of it, you've put Jesus as Lord in your life and you know what you believe, then it is time to shine. Verse 15 says, Give the world a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. It says, verse 15. In getting ready for the sermon this week, um, I listened to 30 minutes of Christian radio. I chose the most, fam- the most popular Christian radio station in this area. I chose the middle of the day, and I sat there and chose, I, I, for 30 minutes, set my watch and listened to it. And it was interesting that the host was talking about the sinful condition of the world that we live in. I thought, all right, that's providential, right on my topic. But I want to say to you that unfortunately in those, four, in those 30 minutes, I heard more about American politics and the Constitution than I did biblical passages. I heard more anger and bitterness and belittling of others than I did gentleness and respect. In fact, it has simply become among Christians, if I can use that word that way, or conservative-minded people, it's become the, the tone with which we talk. That if we've got what we think is the truth, we feel that gives us the right to belittle and put down and hate and over-exaggerate when we talk about others who don't agree with us. And Peter says, when you're dealing with the world, do it with gentleness and respect. We must never forget that God so loved the what? The world when it was living in sinful rebellion and He sent His Son to die for them. It should move us then to pray for our leaders and to see sinners, our fellow sinners, as people who are in need of God's grace and be willing like Jesus to suffer and sacrifice on their behalf. But I say to us that our world does need to hear an alternative message about manhood and womanhood and marriage and reproduction that it is hearing in its current time. And we need to tell people about the engaging and beautiful purposes that God has for men and women and marriage and children. Now, we should do that respectfully. We should do it with grace. We should do it with compassion. But please hear me say that you can do all of that. And if you still ask people to make Jesus their Lord and to change their lives and live them according to His way, you're still going to be maligned you can still expect mistreatment. But here would be the tragic thing. Wouldn't it be tragic if right now, somewhere in this country, there is some activist out there talking to their friends, talking to them about what this Christian said, and how hateful and mean they said it, and the violence that this Christian had done against this other person, how they belittled them and hurt them. And they did it, they said those things in order to harden their own hearts and the hearts of others against the God of heaven. Wouldn't that be a sad thing? We can say the truth and we can say it in a way that shows that we respect the soul that God has given each of us and do it in a gentle way in order to win their souls. 
But then we must not just say things. We must live things. Look at verse 16 again. He says, Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. One of the ways we shine in this world is that we live a good behavior in the sight of others so that they, when they see it, they have to admit, you know, that is good. You know, I believe one of the reasons why our culture has so quickly gone down this path of sinful human sexuality and reproduction is because we have become a society that doesn't value marriage and the family and husbands and wives and children the way that we ought to. And so if we are living in a world that is giving a message about human sexuality that contradicts the biblical message, what about the way that you're treating your wife? What about the way that you're treating your husband? How about the way that you're raising your children? Is it such a way that the people of the world would have to say, well, that's how you be a man. That's how you live as a woman. That's how you raise children. That's how you become a good husband. That's how you live as a good wife. We need to be an example of the, to the world of the very kinds of things that they're teaching against. But in addition... Let me ask us this month to pay special attention to the things that we're laughing about. What we laugh about says also something about what we accept. And sin has always first put itself in the position of being the comic. That's why sin is often portrayed as something that is fun and it's something that's described in an outlandish way. Why? It's because if we can smile at something, if we enjoy something, maybe we'll accept something. And so this month, let's be careful about the things that we are laughing at. Let's be careful about jokes, about sinful behavior. After all, if it is sinful behavior, that person is sinning. That person is condemning their soul before God. That person is dishonoring the creator who made them. And when we laugh about something, we perhaps need to stop and ask ourselves, is that what heaven would laugh at? And I know a lot of the things that go along through young people. We laugh about sinful behavior and we laugh about the kinds of ways that people act and the way that they talk. And we need to stop and ask ourselves, is that how God wants a man or a woman to talk? Is that the kind of behavior that pleases him? Be careful what you laugh at. Secondly, we need to be careful about what we participate in. Yes, particularly over the next month, businesses and schools and government institutions are going to be seeking to put pressure upon people to believe a certain thing and support a certain thing. And if... And where you work, if you don't support it, if you don't come out and say, I'm for it, there may be ramifications. But we may very well be living in a time like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like in Daniel chapter 3, where we're going to have to stand up and not participate in things that condone sin. Now, they didn't go throw rocks. And they didn't lead a a march out. 
what they simply did is they simply would not participate in things that supported sinful behavior. So what Peter says is instead of doing that, devote yourself to good behavior. Going back there to chapter 3, he says there, verse 16, they revile your good behavior. Well, what does that look like? What does good behavior look like? He's just told us back up in verse 8. This is good behavior. Be of unity of mind. Have sympathy and brotherly love and tender heart and humble mind towards each other. I tell you, the world is full of all kinds of strife and conflict. Let it not exist here. Let this be a place where we are seeking a unity of mind, where there's brotherly love expressed, where there's tender hearts and humble minds. And when it comes to being treated wrong, he says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. When they curse you, bless them. And then he says, if you want to love life and see good days, keep your tongue from talking bad about others. Keep your lips from being deceitful. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, verse 11. Why? Because the Lord sees and the Lord knows. He knows the righteous and he knows the wicked. He hears the prayer of one and he doesn't hear the prayer of the other. Well, we do live in a world that's full of sin. But we're not left rudderless about how to cope with it. What we need to do is we need to be alert. We need to be discerning. We need to recognize that's just the way of the world. And therefore, we don't need to be afraid of having to be like them. What we can do is we can set aside Jesus as Lord in our life. He's, his sanctuary is in my heart. And since his sanctuary is in my heart, his ways are in my mind. And I choose to do what is good, and I choose to do what's right. You know, when King David became king over Israel, he set about to clean up some of the problems that had gone on in Israel under his predecessor, Saul. And First Chronicles chapter 11 describes how all of Israel came to David, and they supported him in this work. And one of the families that was given special notice was the family of Issachar. And the family of Issachar came to David to help him in his work of reordering Israel according to God's ways. And this is what it says of them. First Chronicles 12, verse 32. The men of Issachar understood their times. And they knew what Israel ought to do. In other words, they understood the times they were living in. And they knew what God's will was for it. God's will before it was to walk in his ways and to support his people. And so they came to David and they were great at support. And it seems to me we're living in such times. We need to understand our times. We need to know God's will for it. Because not only do we want ourselves not to be swept into the sinful, dying thinking of our world, but we want to be a light in this world to people that God loves so dearly he sent his son to die for their salvation. And we live in this world with not with fear, but as people who are blessed. And not just people who are blessed, but people who have a purpose to shine out God's way in a wicked and dying world. Can you cope in the world in which we're living in? Don't go hide. Don't despair. Don't be enraged. Don't fear. 
let your light shine. If you need to respond to the gospel, we'd love to have you come to the Lord at this time and confess you want to believe in Him, confess your sins and your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, and today you can make Him your Lord, and He can take away your sin, and you can be in unity with Him. If you need to do that, why don't you come as we stand and